Isaiah 51. Watch as we read just a few verses this morning. I trust God to speak to our hearts. Verse 51. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit which ye were digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me and I will make judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. Mine arms, my arms are, uh, shall judge the people. The owls shall wait upon me, and on my arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look unto the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall be in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revelings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, I ask now the Holy Spirit of God to breathe on me this morning. I want to thank you for perfect righteousness. And Father, I want to thank you that for every man and woman, boy and girl, in the sound, in the sound of my voice, that Father, they can be clothed in perfect righteousness. And Father, I pray this morning that God, you'd help us. Our Father, in our and abilities and in our shortcomings. God, I ask for that anointing and power of the Holy Ghost of God to reveal eternal truth to your people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that some boy or girl or man or woman this morning would come to know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. And Father, I ask now, oh God, that you would speak to my heart once again from this passage of Scripture. Make it real to me and God, make it real to those who hear my voice this morning. Our Father, I want to thank you for the fact that you love the world so much you gave your only begotten Son that whoso believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And our Father, your commission to us is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. God, help us not to be deterred from that responsibility. God, help us not to be caught up in secondary matters. But God, I pray our Father, our focus, the focus of this ministry and all the ministers of this church will be, Lord, to reach men and women, boys and girls for the Lord, for the glory of God, that they might have their sins forgiven in heaven as their home. And Father, I'll thank you and praise you and give you glory in Jesus name. Amen and amen. In this passage of scripture, there was a repeating word that I shared with you over and over again. And it's given to us in the very first verse. Notice what it says. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. And look down at verse number five. My righteousness 
is near. And again in verse number six, near the end of the verse, for my righteousness shall not be abolished. And in verse seven, verse of uh, the first part, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. And then in verse number eight, right in the middle of that verse, but my righteousness shall be forever. Hear the emphasis on the word righteousness. And I want us to consider that word for just a few moments. Now, in the beginning of this passage, there's a wonderful truth, a wonderful passage of scripture that he, a thing he says in verse two, look unto Abraham and to Sarah that bear you for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, if you were a Jew, that would mean a lot to you. You'd understand the significance of that. God called Abram out of the air of the Chaldees, changed his name to Abraham, and he became the father of the nation of Israel. When Moses led them out of bondage, there were some three and a half million, and he started with one man. I'm glad for what God can do. I'm glad that God's still looking for a man or woman who will love him and serve him, and God will do great things through that person. He said he called him alone and then he blessed him and he increased him. But he wa- he's not interested in just numerical growth in this sense. He wants them to understand something about righteousness and looking at Abraham to learn a truth about righteousness some 700 years later. That is explained in greater detail by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And look in Romans chapter 4. Hold your place in Isaiah, but turn over to chapter number 4 in the book of Romans in your New Testament. And let me share with you what he says uh, to all of us, not just to Israel, but to all of us about Abraham and what a great truth it is. Notice what he said. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh hath found? He said, I want you to consider Abraham now. Not just the fact that he was a father of the Jewish nation, but he said there's things in, that I want you to understand about him. And that's what the Holy Ghost was saying throughout Isaiah. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. For to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, His faith is counted for righteousness. Here is that great truth that the Holy Ghost of God wanted Israel to get a hold of and wants me and you to get hold of today in in regard to this term righteousness. And I want to say in the beginning this morning that righteousness is demanded. You and I may talk about this in, in this way. Righteousness is being right with God What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean right with God? Well, God demands righteousness over and over again. He talks about righteousness. In that greatest of all the Psalms that people treasure so greatly, Psalms 23, the Lord David said that he leadeth me in paths of righteousness 
for his namesake. And then again, in the word of God, Hebrews chapter one and verse nine, it says this, Christ loves righteousness. In Psalms 50 verse six, it said the heavens declare his righteousness. In Psalm 72 and verse two, it says that God shall judge in righteousness. And in chapter 85 and verse 10 of Psalms, it says that righteousness and peace hath kissed each other. And that has reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse four, it says that righteousness can deliver from death. Verse 5, righteousness can direct your path. In verse number 8, it says righteousness can deliver you from trouble. In verse number 19 of Proverbs 11, it says that it will tend to life. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 28, it said in righteousness, there is the way of life. And in Notice what our Lord said when you come to the New Testament. You may want to turn to this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter number 5. Righteousness is demanded. It's something you ought to consider. You may have not thought about it. You may have not woke up this morning with the term righteousness on your mind or heart. You may think about a lot of other things, but righteousness may be low on your list when you think about the term righteousness. But it is so important in our lives that you and I need to know something about it. In chapter number five, will you look at verse number 20 and listen to what he says. But I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Our Lord is saying this to a group of people in the very beginning of his ministry. He said, you have before you what are the icons of spiritual leadership. The scribes and Pharisees, they were the ones that everybody looked to as the uppity-ups. They were the holier-than-thou. They were the ones that everybody considered to be the holy men. They knew the scriptures frontwards and backwards. They lived separated lives. Uh, They were not involved in the things of the world. They had given themselves wholly to God, and they were elevated as righteous people. They did alms and good deeds and all those type of things, and that was their lifestyle. But Christ said to them, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall all likewise perish. Now what's he saying? He's saying that that crowd that you've held in high esteem, that crowd that you think were the greatest of all of the spiritual leaders, he said they will perish. Why? Because it said in Romans chapter number 10, they have gone about to establish their own righteousness. God demands righteousness. Now if he demands it, we ought to know what it is. And so we ought to try to define it this morning. If God and and if life depends on righteousness, if your eternal destiny depends on you possessing righteousness, and if if you don't have it, you're going to perish. If you don't have it, you'll be separated from God for all eternity. And so if you don't have that righteousness... What is it that you have to have? Is it going to church? Is it coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Is it being baptized? Is it reading your Bible every day? What is righteousness? If you've got to have it in order to go to heaven, if you've got to have it to keep from being from perishing, then you certainly better know what it is. Let's see if we can define it from the Word of God just briefly this morning. First of all, let me say to you, righteousness is not good deeds that we do. It is not. Now, I want you to look in Isaiah chapter 64 and listen, if you will, please, in verse number six. Well, you say, well, Brother Billy, I, I, 
I thought righteousness was doing right things. It is doing right things. And, and it, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about righteousness. What is righteousness? What, how is it defined? I'd say to you in the very beginning in a negative way, it is not what we do. Notice in Isaiah 64 and verse number six, he says this, but we all, uh, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. He said that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's the rags of a leper. That's when his, the leprosy's eaten away his flesh and, and his body's full of vile decay. And he wraps himself with those rags. And then when they are permeated with, with that decaying flesh and, and vile odor, they pull off those rags, cast them aside, and wrap themselves with clean rags. And that rag cast aside, he said, Every, all of our righteousness, all of our right doings, all of our treating our neighbor right, all of our benevolent deeds, all that we say we're doing, uh, all of that in God's sight is as filthy rags. Why you say, Brother Billy, uh, that, that mean, does that mean God doesn't, doesn't appreciate what I do for my neighbor? Does that mean God doesn't get, he's, he wants you to understand something. Without righteousness, you'll perish. Without righteousness, you'll be in hell. And if you think for one little iota that what you do and your good deeds is going to get you into heaven, then you're destined for hell. And he wants you to understand that. He wants you to get a visual. He, he gave us instruction over and over again to love one another, care for one another, minister grace, give food to the hungry, give clothing to the poor. He wants us to do all the same. But he wants you to understand that that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with you, whether you're going to perish or not. You've got to have righteousness. And he said, you've got to have, what is it? How is it defined in the Bible? It says in Titus chapter three, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I quoted to you a while ago, Romans chapter three. And poor Paul was praying for Israel. And he said, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Herein begins our definition of the word righteousness. It is not ours. It is his righteousness. They have not submitted themselves unto his righteousness, the righteousness of God. Righteousness, my dear friend, is the very character of God. It is like that phrase, holiness. It has to do with the, like his faithfulness and all of those of his loving nature. It is an essential part of God. It is his righteousness. Everything he does is right. Everything he says is right. And he said, if you don't measure up to that standard, if you don't come to that place where every thought is right, every action is right, every deed is right, every motive is right, and the very essence of your being is perfect and right, then you're on your way to hell for all eternity. Why you say, Brother Billy, then that leaves us helpless. Oh, yes, sir. We're absolutely helpless, but we are in no ways hopeless because God looked down and he considered our frame that we're but dust. God knew 
that we couldn't save ourselves. We're the ones that don't know that yet. We're the ones who are still trying to establish our own righteousness. We're still the one trying to do good enough to go to heaven. And God said in the very beginning that you can't do it. There's no way you can elevate yourself up to me. What arrogance in the heart of a fallen man that thinks he could do good uh, as God does good, could think as God thinks, could live as God lives, could satisfy all of the holy demands known and unknown that you and I don't even know anything about. How arrogant and prideful we are to think that we could do anything to satisfy the holy demands of God in ourselves. That's just part of old wicked depraved nature. What is it? What is it? What is this righteousness? Well, I'll say this to you. I said it it is, the, it is the essence of God. It is God himself. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 6, it says this, that he is the Lord of righteousness. In chapter 51 and verse 10 of uh, Jeremiah, he says, he hath brought forth righteousness. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, he is called the son of righteousness. And in Hebrews chapter number tw- uh, 7 and verse 2, he, he is called the king of righteousness. Uh, listen, righteousness is God's holiness, God's righteousness in himself. It is that attribute of God. Also, in, encompassed in that, it is, it is whatever God in himself has made, had judged to be perfect and that which conforms to his perfect revealed will. In other words, it is everything that God determines to be righteous like he's righteous and whatever he wills, his perfect perfect will. And it's all encompassed in that. Whatever God's perfect will is, that's part of his righteous plan. Not only that, we go a step further. It is whatever has been appointed by God for us to obey and acknowledge completely and without any reserve. Now, those little phrases all hinge on this idea. It is whatever God has demanded that we would obey and conform to without any reserve. Now, here's the problem. People say, well, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments, but there's a whole lot more commandments in there than that. And, and all of the commandments of God, it says, whatever God has laid out to be his commands, that's part of his righteousness. And you say, well, Brother Billy, I don't know that we could keep all of them. I can tell you this beyond any shadow of doubt, you can't. Because you see, not, there's so many things you don't know about. Some of you guys who are in building and some of the folk who may be in inspection. I know guys who've been in building. Codes change over a period of time. And a guy does something and he thinks everything's right. And then when the building inspector comes by, he said, this won't pass. And he said, why? He said, because the codes have changed. And I didn't know about that. Well, it don't matter what you know about it or not, it still changed. Now, I want to tell you something. Forever, God's word settled in heaven. It has never changed. It's never been compromised. It's never been lowered to meet the time you're living in. God's standard is still the, uh, way up here where God's at. God has never lowered his standard. And what he demands and what he expects out of us is absolute perfection. Why you say, Brother Billy, nobody could do that. That's why the Bible said there was never a law given that could give life. Not a law. You say, Brother Billy, why then would we have the law? I've said it so many times. You ought to know it by now. Paul, they asked the same question to Paul. Wherefore then serveth the law? Paul said the law was added. 
that every mouth might be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. God's got all those laws, got all those commands because that reveals his character. And when you look at it, you say, man, ain't no way I could ever do that. He said, you're exactly right. There's only one who can meet my standard. And I want to introduce him to you. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's perfectly fulfilled. He said, I have come to do thy will. In the volume of the book it is written, I've come to do thy will. He perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father in thought, in action, in deed, in every part of his life. He's the only perfect sacrifice. He was a lamb without spot and without blemish. Never reviled, never had one wicked thought. Never, never, listen, in that passage of scripture it says this. Uh, when I was telling you about what it means, when you, you have all of his commands, that you do them perfectly and entirely, but you do them without any reserve. And you know what? There has been in my life as a Christian, Christian duties that I have done with reservation. There have been those things that I really didn't want to do that I didn't have. How many of you have wanted to come to the house of God? Or sometime you didn't really want to come, but you came anyhow. Raise your hand. Be honest. We'll give an altar call in a minute. <laughs> I had both minds raised. Praise God. Been a plenty of time I didn't want to come. Didn't have it in me to come. But I came in a way. And I did it with reservation. Now you say, does that mean that you're wicked? Oh yeah, well, the Bible said, there's no, Paul said, there's no good thing in me. But it simply says this, I am not God. And God has a standard. His standard, the Bible said that all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Now, who's, how many is that? All, all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us this, that Christ is the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is the standard. You, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you try to do. You'll never attain to that standard of who Jesus Christ is. And, that, and that's what God demands. He's not going to accept any less than perfection. He's not going to accept anything, even obedience to all of his commands, if there's any iota of, of reserve or reluctance to do that. You have to gladly do all of that. You say, Brother Bill, I don't think I could ever do that. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. It is all that God has for us to do. Now you say, Brother Billy, I, what, what about it? Not only is grace demanded or, or righteousness demanded, but my dear friend, it is required. I wrote this little statement down. Righteousness is the gracious gift of God to men whereby all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are brought into right relationship with God. It is something that is absolutely unattainable that you cannot do it. I don't care if you really try. And I don't know many folks who are really trying after all. I mean, get the heart set on it and they, they want that more than anything in the world is to be righteous, right with God. Don't know very many that way. But he said this, that righteousness is demanded. He said, except your righteousness exceed that described Pharisee. And it is the very essence of who God is. It is all the perfection of God. He said, if you don't have that, then you can't go to heaven. Why, you say, Brother Billy, no man ever did that. No man ever achieved that. Oh, yeah, a lot of folk have. Why, you say, Brother Billy, how in the world did they ever do that? Well, that's what Paul was explaining to the Jews when he's talking to them in Romans. 
And that's what Isaiah warned them. Think about Abraham for just a minute. And he said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. How is it? How is it that that righteousness, you desire it? Is it in your heart to be right with God? Is it in your heart? It talks here about those who follow after righteousness. How is it that you're going to receive that? How is it that it's going to come to pass? Go back to the book of Romans chapter 4 and look in Romans chapter 4. God loved you so much and he wanted you to meet his demands so desperately. And he looked at us and he considered our frame that we're but dust. He knew our hearts that they were deceitful and desperately wicked. He knew that you and I could never achieve that level of righteousness or perfection. And so what did he do? The Bible said he gave his son that you and I might be saved. Notice what he says this. He talks about in chapter 4 about Abraham. And he says this, verse 4. Now unto him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Now, you've got to get, there are two things that you've got to get to be if you're ever going to get saved. Number one, you've got to get to be ungodly. You've got to get there. You've got to get to the place where you say, there's no good thing in me. I cannot do this. I'm wicked and on my way to hell. I remember reading many years ago about D.L. Moody, and he preached in one of those great meetings, revivals that he had, and people came of all rank and file of life, and he watched this lady who came in with a mink stole around her neck, and she sat there, and time after time, she listened to the sermon, and he saw her as she sat, and she, you could just see it all over her. She felt sorry for all of those wicked sinners that were there, all those people who were beneath her. And finally, on one night, she came to the altar. And Mr. Moody himself knelt down beside her to pray with her. And she said, I would like to go to heaven. And he said, I want to pray. And he said, Lord Jesus, I pray God you'd have mercy on this vile, wicked sinner. And before he finished his praying, she stopped him and said, Mr. Moody, I want you to know that that's not me. And he said, well, will you please return to your seat till that gets to be you. And when you get that gets to be you, God will save you. He said this, he saves the ungodly. He saves those who don't know God, those who are lost, those who can't save themselves, those who have realized that they cannot attain what he expects out of them. But it says this is past the scripture. Listen to it. It says this. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now to him that, that worketh is the grace, uh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. There's the other part of you got to come to. And that is where you will believe on him who justifies the ungodly. If you'll do that, he said this. He said, like Abraham, it was countered to him for righteousness. Now that little word counted there is an important word. That is an accounting term. And Robert's here and we have others spoke and, and Megan who are certified public accountants. Certified. I like that word, don't you? It means there's, there is validity and it means it, 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 it is certified. It means it is sure. It's, it's perfect, perfect. 
And look at what he said. He said, for those who are ungodly, if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they can be certified as righteous. Now you say, how could that happen? It said in this passage of scripture, it was counted to him. That means that it was written on his record. It was accounted for. It was written. And the word has this idea. It has the idea of putting on one's account. In other words, here's my account. And, and, and it's all wicked. It is all sinful. And the demands of God are far more than I can ever. And all of my sin is there. And all of my, 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 my wickedness is there. And I cannot do one thing about it. But when I in simple faith bow my knee before the Lord and said, God, I am a sinner. But I believe Jesus Christ bore all my sins on that cross. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Lord, I believe that you have died for me and I receive you as my Savior. Now what God does is this. He writes on that account, paid in full, certified, put on the books. It'll stand up in the court of law. He has on my account taken all of my sin, but also on my account put all the righteousness of his dear son. It belongs to him. And notice down what he says about David, not only Abraham, but look at what it says about David in verse number six. It says this, even as David described the blessedness of man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Listen, God's plan is to be able to put God's righteousness on your account and put it there for you. Look in chapter number five at verse 17, if you will, please. And listen to what he says. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. What a blessed thought. Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It comes freely from the Lord. Will you look back in the book of Romans chapter 3? Now you say, Brother Billy, how do you get it? How can you receive that gift? Look, if you will, please, in verse number 21 of Romans chapter number 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. He said, now here's, here's how it is. Here's how, it, how do you get righteous without, without keeping all the laws of God? He said, it's made manifest. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How is it that a man, a woman, a boy, a girl can have righteousness before God to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Far greater than the scribes and Pharisees could ever do. How is it? It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him as their Savior. It is by faith. Turn over to the book of Romans chapter number 10, if you will, please. In Romans chapter 10, 
I want to show you something in verse number 10. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. Now, while you're finding that, I want to read you a verse in chapter 9. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not righteousness, have attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is, by, which is of faith. Boy, he put that good word in there just for us. That the, 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 those who know, didn't even know all the Levitical laws can get saved by, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's my verse. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My dear friend, Christ, Christ is made in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Christ is our righteousness. And we are made the righteousness of God in him. Now, our only hope is to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll, you'll, you'll all likewise perish. But he said you can be saved. You can have the right account. Oh, you say, Brother Billy, I, 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 that's hard for me to believe that God would love me so much that he'd let his son die for me and take all of his righteousness and put it on my account and all my sin on Jesus. Yeah, that's why years ago, a young lady wrote a song called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. My dear friend, the only way that you can have that fear removed is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you say, Brother Billy, since you got saved, oh, I, I've, I've lived in his righteousness. Have I done everything right? No, Lord, no. I've failed God, failed everybody. I've not done perfect, but my salvation is not dependent on what I've done, but it's on what he's done. He said this about his salvation. Will you turn back to the book of Isaiah 51? I give you this and I'm through. In Isaiah 51, and will you look with me please at verse number five. My righteousness is near. His righteousness is near. Paul writing again in the book of Romans, he said, Say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring down Christ from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again for the dead, from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word that we preach. He said this, salvation is near, righteousness is near. You don't have to go to Rome. You don't have to go to Nashville. You really don't have to come to this altar. But you've got to go to Calvary. You've got to go to Jesus. He's near. He's sitting in, he's near in the back of the church. He's near in the middle of the church. He's near in those who are packed in the middle aisles. Near. He's very near. He's a very present help in time of need. And his righteousness is near. It's available to every person here. But now notice what he says further about it. He said his righteousness in verse number eight, my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. His righteousness never runs out. When you trust him as your savior and Lord, he, all of your sins are gone and his righteousness is put on you for all eternity. It is forever and ever. 
You can't beat a deal like that. You might, could some cars get a two-year warranty or three-year warranty or some brag about a 10-year warranty. But here's one that lasts forever and ever. His righteousness is forever and ever. And it says this, it shall not be abolished. Thank God for that. We'll never be destroyed once you trust him as your Savior. For God so loved the world, listen at it, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is. That's why it's in our hearts to love that verse so much. That the only reason we can go to heaven is because God loved us and because he gave his son to die for us and because in believing on him, he forgives us of all of our sin and gives us everlasting life that we don't have to perish. Thank God for that. You and I who have that ought to spend a little more time rejoicing in it. We ought to thank God for it. We are not perfect, but he is. And we're not going to heaven because of what we've done, but because of him. We sing about him. My Redeemer liveth, and I'm glad he does. Will you bow your heads in prayer? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank God for his righteousness, his righteousness. I didn't deal with the further part of that statement. A few chapters back, I preached on it. The work of righteousness is peace. When you, have that, when you have that righteousness, you'll have a peace. When that righteousness is ruling and reigning in your heart and life, you will live a life to honor him. Doesn't mean you won't fail. You will. But he says this. He said, it is written in our hearts. God put it in there. I don't have time to give you all the details. But a few months back, a trucker called me in desperation. He plotted to kill himself the day before and just couldn't do it. But he left home that morning with a gun in his cab of his truck, planning never to go home again. As God would have it in his divine providence about 9.30 that morning, he stopped at a truck stop that had a CD in there by the highway shepherd called Living and Dying with No Regrets. He listened to that CD and called me deeply under conviction. I had the privilege of leading that young boy to the Lord. He got saved by the grace of God. Called me back about 8.30 that night. He was back home with his wife and two children. I could hear them laughing in the background. I've talked to him several times. He's, he's been used of God to lead three of his friends to the Lord since he got saved just a few months ago. The first part of this week, while working on his job, an irate man pulled a gun on him and fired it over his head and then leveled a gun at him and threatened to kill him. He got away from the man. Some of the co-workers called the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department came to this driver. They'd already confronted the man with a gun and said, will you press charges? He said, I don't know yet. I don't think so. And they said, why? He said, well, a few weeks back, 
one of us would have been dead a few minutes ago because I didn't know Jesus. But I want you to know I trusted Christ and he changed my heart and life. And I don't know exactly what God wants me to do. And until I know what God wants me to do, I'm not going to press charges. He called me to talk to me, to ask my advice. And I just told him to mind the Holy Ghost. God lives in him. He'll show him what to do. He finally, after our talk and prayer, he said, I don't believe I'm going to press charges. I believe God's going to give that young man a chance to witness to the fellow that threatened to kill him. I don't know if he'll get saved or not. But what changes a man's soul? It's grace. You can be changed today if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to believe on him. He's near. Right there, right where you are, men and women, boys and girls. You can have put on your record the righteousness of Christ. By faith, will you believe him? Will you receive him this morning? It is the believing part that counts. But I do believe a believing heart is a receiving heart. And the Bible said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right now, it's between you and God. Would you acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner? And would you, by faith, ask Jesus to come in your heart and save you? You may pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Without you, I will perish. I cannot live good enough to go to heaven. But I want to thank you that you bore all of my sins on that cross. I believe, Jesus, that you died and you were buried and you rose again and you're near. I believe you're here now. Lord, come in my heart and save me right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for me. Help me to love you and serve you and live for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me and for dying for me and for saving me right now. 